Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Seven words that'll scare any politician. Roy Green is holding on line one. The Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network continues. Emails to Roy at RoyGreenShow.com, Roy at RoyGreenShow.com. And uh, follow me on Twitter at the Roy Green Show, at the Roy Green Show. And uh, tweet me there, and I'll read some tweets on the air. We just have tremendous, tremendous – I'm starting to sound like Donald Trump. We had uh, tremendous response to the segment yesterday with um, Carol Dadelli. And we played back the interview in the first hour today, if you missed it. If you missed the interview altogether, and it was the only interview I understand that Carol gave yesterday about the uh, unconditional release of Vincent Lee and the grotesque destruction of her son Tim McLean's life. Um, if you haven't heard it, just go to the audio vault of your radio station you're listening to and you listen, to, uh, listen back to it any time you choose. So we talked about health, and last hour we were talking about uh, the issue of opioid meds. And um, with Dr. David, Professor David Yearling, head of the Division of Clinical Pharmacology and Toxicology at the University of Toronto. And with Dr. Fiona Campbell, president-elect of the Canadian Pain Society, anesthesiologist in the Department of Anesthesia and Pain Medicine at SickKids in Toronto, and an associate professor at the University of Toronto. And Dr. Campbell talked about pain in a way I've never heard it described before, and that is as a disease. And uh, so we're talking about opioids and where they fit into the greater scheme, and uh, I've just been hearing so much about opioids, and I kept saying to people, when is somebody going to talk about the patient? When? When is somebody going to talk about the patient who is in massive pain? With an aging population, that's going to be a reality. It's going to be an increasing reality. When is somebody going to be talking about the patient who needs the opioids? And I started to read, and I found all of this information that I passed on, I was shared with, not that they didn't know, but they did, but Professor Yearlink and Dr. Campbell. Because we're not talking about monsters and uh, dangerous drug addicts who are ready to slash your throat for a $10 bill. When you talk about opioid patients who have been prescribed their medications to deal with their pain, I'm talking about real people. And that's what I got out of the, all the stories that I was reading and the conversations I was having. And I thought, we're, we, we're going to have to do this from the patient perspective. And so I, I really appreciated when uh, Dr. Campbell said pain, disease, leads to social isolation, depression, and suicide. I didn't know where I was going to fit in the suicide word. I didn't have to. It's good how Dr. Campbell did that. I appreciate that. You know, we have to be honest about these things. And then, so last weekend, we, you know, we talked to Charlotte about her 29-year-old daughter, Jessie. 
and the blood test that was done on a Friday before Christmas. And uh, the results of the blood test were that Jessie should present herself to an ER immediately because her potassium levels were so low she was in danger of a heart attack. But even though they had that information on Friday, it never got to the family until Monday when Charlotte picked up the phone and got the voicemail on Monday evening after she'd left the hospital where her daughter was lying, suffering from the after-effects of massive heart attacks. Two days later, Jesse would die. Had that information from that blood test gotten to the family on Friday or Saturday, because she had the heart attack on Sunday, there's every possibility Jesse would still be alive because they would have increased the potassium levels in her body, blood transfusion, whatever they would have had to do, and she could very well be alive today. Hospital harm, third leading cause of death in Canada and the United States. In 2014-15, 138,000 Canadian hospital patients suffered harm. That's 5.6% of all patients. One in eight resulted in death. And this information does not include harm committed to patients in hospitals in the province of Quebec. Kathleen Finley is the CEO and founder of the Centre for Patient Protection and she joins us on the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Kathleen, thank you very much. What, what, what was the motivation for you to begin the Center for Patient Protection? Good to be with you, Roy. Well, um, it came about after my shocking discovery of just an incomprehensible number of medical errors that were inflicted on my mother during her hospitalization six years ago. And um, I couldn't really understand why so many errors were happening to my mother. And, um, you know, what I did was, as I I approached it in the usual way that I do things, I just did more research. And I discovered, shockingly, uh, as you said, that medical errors are the third leading cause of death in Canada and the U.S. They claim more lives every year than strokes, Alzheimer's, kidney disease, breast cancer, and plane, train, and car accidents combined. And they also add um, unnecessary billions of dollars in cost to our health care system. So they are a big problem. Um, and they are not treated um, as the national, really, emergency, health care emergency that they need to be. One of every 18 patients who's admitted into a hospital in Canada, again, this is excluding Quebec, they have their own statistics and they were in part of the study, but one of every 18 who's admitted to a hospital in Canada will be dealing with an antibiotic-resistant infection, experience a fracture from a fall, um, possibly suffer accidental lacerations during a medical procedure, or some other kind of unintended harm. Clearly, it's not intended, but it happens. And this report was put together uh, for and by the Canadian Patient Safety Institute, which published the report, along with the Canadian Institute for Health Information. This was for 2014-2015, 138,000 patients. And I believe this is the first time there was ever a report like this, Kathleen. Uh, um, It's definitely something new in Canada. They have been doing this kind of thing in the United States um, quite a bit longer. Um, But the statistics really, although they're shocking, and we should all be concerned about them, they really um, hide the emotional harm um, that accompanies uh, these uh, medical errors because patients and families are affected in their real lives. Um, 
of course, some of them unfortunately die. Too many of them die. Many of them are injured um, and suffer debilitating um, uh, injuries uh, for life that they're, they're that they have to deal with and that their families have to deal with. They lose their jobs. Um, you know, the, the, the waves of harm are just enormous. And uh, families, and this is where. You would fit into this equation, I'm sure, how you started the, uh, the, uh, the center. And it fits in with what I found out, and I shared some of it with our listeners for the first time last weekend. Uh, many families have no idea that there's been a, a serious medical error that's taken place. Uh, and and uh, if they don't push, if they don't ask, or if the law doesn't require it, they never will. Is that true? Well, yes. Um, it's what what we find um, is the second wave of harm when patients or families suspect that there has been um, an error um, that has led to death or injury. Um, they will seek answers. Um, it's a natural thing for humans to want to understand what's happened, and what happens is with hospitals too often. Um, they put up this wall of silence, this deny and defend culture, as they call it, quickly comes into play. Um, and patients and families just find that they're stonewalled. They don't get any answers. They're not treated with respect. Um, they'll say they, they, they aren't able to get anyone's attention. No one is listening to me. Um, and these are remarkably constant themes, uh, whether it's in Canada, the U.S., Australia, uh, New Zealand, the UK, I hear from patients and families every day. In fact, I wake up to an inbox full of very, very sad and troubling stories, but they all have uh, the same themes underlying. And, and when we take a loved one to the hospital, we want to believe, and we do believe, that they're going to be getting the best of care and the best of attention, and they will be the sole focus of the medical professionals who are taking care of them. Now, I understand that hospitals are under tremendous stress and will be as population ages more so, and maybe they're underfunded, although with $100 billion plus being spent on health care in Canada each calendar year, I don't know how you can be underfunded. But anyway, they, uh, they, the story is they are. And there are tremendous professionals who are in those hospitals. Maybe they're overworked and have too many patients. I, I don't know. But it's going on. It shouldn't be happening. And it shouldn't be that for the very first time in 2014, 2015, this kind of study is carried out. That, you know, How long has this been going on? Is, is 2014, 15 an aberration? Are those numbers high? Are they low? We don't know. At least I don't know from what I've been able to f discern. Well, that's, that's part of the problem, uh, especially in Canada. Um, and one of the things that the Center for Patient Protection has been advocating for is the requirement that, the legislated requirement, that all hospitals publicly list the medical errors uh, that um, happen in their hospitals by type and frequency so that patients have um, the information that they need to, to be aware. I mean, in, uh, it's just true that if you want to be a safe patient, you have to be an informed patient. Right. Um, and that kind of information is, is, would be very helpful to patients and families. Well, you know, if you go to a restaurant, you can go online and you can check the consumer reviews of the restaurant. Similarly, there should be instantly available information on how significantly uh, uh, professional and, and, and successful uh, 
a hospital is or how significantly challenged their procedures are for any particular um, incident or health issue. Hold on, Kathleen. We're going to come back. We'll talk more with Kathleen Finley. She's the founder and the CEO of the Center for Patient Protection, 138,000. This isn't isn't Kathleen's study, 138,000 patients, excluding Quebec. Somebody sent an email or as a tweet last weekend, you, Roy, you said 138,000. That sounds high. No. I responded, no. And those numbers don't include Quebec. So we'll come back. We'll talk more with Kathleen Finley. We'll include some of your phone calls. And uh, then before the end of the hour, we'll be talking to uh, Ontario doctors who are significantly unhappy with the provincial government. Dr. David Jacobs, the director of the Coalition of Ontario Doctors, will be joining us. Healthcare, part of our discussion today. We'll come right back. Passionate, patriotic, a little bit pugilistic, and always professional. Hear what Roy Green has to say on the Chorus Radio Network. My guest is Kathleen Finley, the CEO and founder of the Center for Patient Protection. I'm just reading um, a column that Kathleen uh, wrote for the Huff Post, Huffington Post. Um, she writes, there's what I call the white coat complex. We like to think of our hospitals as gleaming temples of healing. It is natural to believe that the years of rigorous training doctors and nurses receive are the patient's safety equivalent of the good housekeeping seal of approval. I was blinded by the same rose-colored misperception when my mother was suddenly admitted to a large Toronto teaching hospital a few years ago following a traumatic brain injury. I found out the hard way, one cold November morning, how wrong I was. Medications that should have never been administered and had not been approved by the healthcare regulators for her condition was given to her without my family's knowledge or consent, which was required by law. There were well-documented warnings linking the drug to numerous episodes of sudden death, especially in the elderly. A cardiac arrest followed just hours later. Terrifying. So, Kathleen, what lies ahead? Well, um, we need to make some changes. Um, I've, I've already, I think, mentioned that uh, hospitals need to be more forthcoming and publicly uh, set out what kind of medical errors they've experienced by their type and their number. I think it's also important to stop taxpayer uh, public funding of the Canadian Medical Protective Association, which, I mean, we could spend a lot of time talking about that, but it's essentially the body that defends doctors in court actions, and it has a war chest of several billion dollars courtesy of taxpayers because the provinces contribute it, um, contribute to it by paying a large chunk of the liability premiums of doctors. And it just puts patients on an uneven playing field when they're trying to seek justice right from the start. So the, uh, I mean, the playing field is pitched against the patient. Absolutely. Um, do you see anything encouraging? Because you, you look at the situation in Canada and the United States, and often the comparison is made between the American healthcare system and the Canadian healthcare system. One of the ways that we define ourselves as Canadians is we generally like to say, "Well, we have we have free public healthcare, and uh, and and it's better than the American system." I I don't know about better, and it's certainly not free. 
But uh, how does the Canadian system equate with the American system? Are the same problems in, uh, evident and present in both systems? Well, I think there there's certainly medical errors are, again, the third leading cause of death in the U.S. Yeah, as well. Yeah. But I think there is a, a willingness um, to, there's a willingness to uh, really confront this problem in the United States to a greater extent than there has been in Canada so far. Uh, if you if you look in the United States, hospitals um, there are multiple rating systems for hospitals in the United States. Whether it's um, um, you know um, magazines like Consumer Reports or uh, U.S. News and World Report, they rate hospitals all across the system in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, Leapfrog rates hospitals. Uh, and even uh, information is available rating hospital experiences on the um, Medicare site in the United States. So right out of the gate, um, consumers of health care in the United States have a much better um, opportunity to see what's happening. And unlike Canada, you can look at this information and you can act on it. You can say, I don't want to be in an emergency taken to that hospital, even though it's close to me. I want to go to this hospital 30 miles away because it has a better rating. Okay. So which makes sense, which we should have quite clearly. That's just, you know, that's just one example. Yeah. Um, We have about 30 seconds. Do you you see things improving? Uh, Is there enough impetus uh, when we hear the studies like the one that was conducted in 2014-15 in Canada, the information that you're putting forward to the Center for Patient Protection? Is there impetus? Is there an acceptance that things have to change? Is there willingness to make this happen? I don't think it's out there in the public eye the way it needs to be. So I really think what you're doing today, Roy, is great, and and thank you for doing that. Thank you for bringing attention well, to this issue. Well, it's critically important. I mean, I, 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 I shared last Sunday, how my wife's chest x-ray, which was the first thing that was done, the first test that was done, was misread. And for four months, medical professionals galloped all over the universe trying to figure out what was wrong with her. And it was only after we took her to the hospital in a, again in an emergent state, and they told me she might die within 48 hours. Shortly after that, a doctor walked into the room and said, by law, I have to inform you that the very first chest, chest x-ray that was done uh, on your wife was misread. There was a large cancerous lesion present, and the radiologist misread it. And so for four months, this cancer grew exponentially on my wife's lung. So am I a happy camper? No. Kathleen, thank you so much for the time. Thank you. Thank you, Roy. My we'll, pleasure. We'll talk again. We'll come back on The Green Show. 1-800-263-2428. Have you had an incident in a hospital, a harm incident? Something go wrong? 800-263-2428. Call me.